Welcome to the Heart of Soul podcast, an exploration of who you are, what you are, and why you are, offering new ways to investigate age-old questions at the heart of you. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for listening to the Heart of Soul podcast. We've got even more to say about sexualized relationality, and so the series continues. Topics today include polyamory, what healthy interdependence looks like, the four kinds of intimate communication, the impact on men that they come out of the opposite sex, the difference between sensitivity and vulnerability, sex work, how patriarchy is a compensation, and even more than all of that. A quick announcement on June 17th, 2023, in the Clubhouse app that I've mentioned before, Eric Grace, who I've also mentioned before, will host a gathering of EBE and soul mentors to talk about identity, EBE, and answer questions for participants. That will be at 11 a.m. Pacific time on Clubhouse in the Holy, that's with a WH, Holy Human Club. Stace, Bree, Eric, myself, and others will be there. And when we get together, very interesting things tend to happen, so I hope you can make it. If you can't make it and want to email questions for us to field, or even if you can make it and want to send those questions ahead of time, you can email me at joseph, J-O-S-E-F, at clearandopen.com. I remind you, as always, even though many of you won't do it, to please listen to this podcast from the beginning and in order. Thanks so much for listening. Well, welcome forward, everybody. Here we are again, relentlessly. And in fact, maybe this is a good, this is going to be our last one before you travel, right? So, Correct. Yes. Yeah, so we're taking a break. I think we've definitely earned it. If you don't agree, then I don't care. Um, <laughs> uh, we're, we're taking a break of about uh, probably six weeks or so. So yeah. um, that'll give people time to catch up. And by the yes. way, I just want to say, um, you know, I have this mantra of listening to the episodes in order, watching them in order, because now it's on YouTube. And I can tell by the podcast analytics and I can tell by the YouTube numbers that people are not doing that. So I'm not going to I'm going to stop saying it. <laughs> it's silly. Really? You mean they, they skipping around? Oh, yeah. The, I mean, the the views the YouTube's the, the analytics are hard to um, uh, to not see because it's just the number of views are right there. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you'd want a nice inverted pyramid where most of the views and the majority of them are in the beginning and then very few. Nobody should have listened to, you know, the last five episodes really by now. No, that's right. And, that's right. Uh, and people are watching. So it's, you know, it just gave me some pause of like, why is it that I feel the need to tell people to do it in order? <laughs> it's, yeah. It would be ideal, but um, not necessary. People are going to do what they're going to do. Right. You know, I had one other thought here. Um, uh, we might, we might, might be worth it to do one in bet- while while I'm tra- while we're traveling in the next six weeks. That one long um, email with the person who wrote, I forget the person's name, with like fifteen questions on it. Yeah, um, I have it somewhere. Um, I would love to do a whole one just on that. We could do that because it's so soft. It's it summarizes so many different aspects of the paradigm that person really honed in on really clear questions. So okay. I'd like to give a whole episode to that person. What was, do you remember that person's name? I believe uh, one of was, your folks. Yeah, I believe that was Christine. Was that Christine? I think it could be. 
Well, I can double check right now, but I, let's not. But I believe yeah. you. It might have been Christine. Oh, I think it was actually. Yeah. And I invited so, her. We could have her on and do that somehow, you know, coordinate uh, a live, you know, our first special guest and she can ask the questions herself. Oh, that would be really wonderful. Let's do that. Let, okay. I, I can I can um, carve a spot uh, in the travels to do that. Okay. Uh, three, hour, a, a two, a one, nine, two hour thing. Sure. Yeah, let's do. All right. I'll connect the room. And we'll do that. I love All letting right. our audience into our thought process because it's yes. Uh, it, and, yes. And the emergent things. It makes the what we're doing here feel like, like less of a performance and more yeah. of a, just inviting people into our world. You bet. And people know, I hope, well, we have a topic, but we never script anything. Uh, this is all um, as, oh, let, well, I'll use this phrase for this particular topic, sperm of the moment. Um, <laughs> it's all sperm on the moment. Uh, 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 um, so we we ad lib uh, and, and follow a very twisty trail through things. Nothing is is rehearsed or um, yes. scripted. And, and beyond that, um, rarely edited. I'd say um, only yes. one in 10 of these do I have to edit something. Usually, like there was that one time there was a wasp in my room. I cut that uh. out. <laughs> we had to take a break <laughs> while I trapped it. And sometimes the internet is glitchy and I got to fix that. But um, yeah, because I don't have the time to be doing that editing. It's incredibly time intensive. So we just got to be on. We just got to boom. Yep. Right. And then uh, unedited means uh, we're human. Right. Yeah. So this is not polished for consumption. Yeah. It's just what it is. And that's exactly how the paradigm relates to all human consciousness domains. Yeah. So. And so all I know about today is that we're talking about sexualized intimacy. I believe this is our third part in the sub series sub mm -hmm. to relationality. I don't know anything right. beyond that. I, okay. I imagine Stace knows where to start, though. I do. I do. Uh, I'll preface it by saying that um, every uh, couple's journey through uh, the personhood um, uh, track of, uh, of our paradigm um, goes through something different, of course. So what we're doing today um, in these last couple and today, we've been giving the principles for that, that guide us in how we relate to helping folks um, maximize the... Uh, uh, wow. Is that in your, is that in, you got a bird in your house? <laughs> no, it's outside. Oh, it's, it's a window. <laughs> it's, yeah. It feels like I thought it was in my room. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, um, we just, we're just talking about the general principles that, uh, all impinge on the way we look at intimate relationship. And we'll try to complete that today because I'd, I'd like to finish this sub series so we can uh, do Christine's whole one next time. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, Summarizing uh, last time, we covered pretty clearly how all the axial age religions, all of them, East and West to some degree, and the East also, um, have made uh, antitheses between the human and the divine, between the spiritual and the earthen, uh, and the personal and the universal, or the personal and the not, not, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so there's always been an adversarial relationship that still is like a gray fog, gray-brown fog that circles the earth um, really deeply of how we've been conditioned over 3,000 years, a little more even actually, you could say five in some ways, where ancient religions have split the divine and the personal, uh, the human and, and uh, the spirit so deeply we don't notice it. It's all underground, uh, way down deep. 
And, uh, and the way that applies to our topic is that um, the human and the divine uh, ant 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 antithesis has gotten down uh, most uh, directly to the to um, the body and the heart. So in other words, um, when you have an antithesis between the human and the divine, what the relig religious um, teachings of the ages have taught us that the most dense bandwidth of the human is sexual. Uh, you could argue medical body also is in the same dense domain, but in terms of behavioral um, uh, uh, and, and culturated and conditioned kinds of behaviors, uh, that's how uh, sex got to be the boogeyman uh, in virtual all. I've not heard yeah. you say this before, so I just want to make sure I get this right. The split between the human and the divine, we manifest unconsciously as the split between the body and the heart. Yes. Because the body is the dense human stuff, so yes. we associate it with the, the, the bad density rather than the... Uh, upper sixth and seventh chakra spiritual revelation type stuff. Mm -hmm. Exactly right. Exactly right. The heart, what we call the heart, and, and of course it's that's in the in the fourth chakra front and back, is the doorway to the soul. Mm -hmm. So um, that's why the soul stands in for the or the heart stands in for the soul in our everyday human um, expressions and forms. So in this way, uh, we, we are a crippled species. Uh, we are a crippled species uh, in so many different domains, but it really comes down where the rubber meets the road in our intimate relationships, how we relate to our body's urges and how we relate to our heart's urges. And this e is even more broadly, it's it's just uh, this upper versus lower thing, you know, yes, higher self, right. lower self, uh, right. upper chakras, you know, four and up. Those are like the good ones and the bottom ones are somehow not. And, you know, everybody's. Always, uh, you know, the in, even in scripture, it was revelation, you know, revelatory yeah. truth. So there's like the truth's not in the human stuff. It's in the yeah. revelatory, you know, at the very least open hearted, but usually six and seven chakras, not um, not the four that came sort of later. Exactly right. Whenever um, when I started noticing um, uh, soul soul configurations and soul forms uh, after my non dual event, um, I saw every 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 um, non dual teacher that had that had enlightened in the um, in the old traditional way, including myself. Mm. The bottom three chakras were disengaged. Mm -hmm. uh, First, one, two, and three. The, the, when I say three, in the hara, um, the soulful version of three is locked out. Mm -hmm. and, and one and two are disengaged in one way, except in one way, uh, the one is absolutely um, unplugged in non-dual enlightened teachers. That's why they're so non-vital. That's yeah. why they're not alive and sumptuous because their first chakra is disengaged. And to compensate, they overemphasize, they overlive in second, which is why all of them have want to have so much sex with their uh, devotees. Oh, because it's grounding them in a way. Yeah, you know, it's exactly. before you mentioned the second chakra part there, I was thinking of what Adida looked like in his later yes. years. Exactly. Um, he, he looked like, ja he had the energy of Jabba the Hutt. It was yes. like flabby and just very like sedentary but somehow yeah. he was sleeping with a bunch of his disciples, even with a body like that. Uh, they apparently didn't mind. Um, yeah. yeah, he was kind of gross. It was not well. And I, I heard. 
No, not absolutely. It's transcending the humanity. That's the whole shtick of uh, the non-dual and Advaita Vedanta also a little more mildly, but same effect. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the thing is, I, I also heard one of his devotees who um, was not part of his enclave, but was there often um, where he uh, taught and where he lived. Uh, they were they were it was two people and they were talking about how uh, how amazing it was that he was kind of disappearing <laughs> as that was a good thing. Right. He's, uh, this Wait, is really what's spiritual. the word they use? Ascend. He was in the process Ascend, of ascending. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Up and again, and up, 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 up and out, <laughs> not down and in. All, all of the spiritual teachings of Edenity are about down and in, no break between the human and the divine, because the, the human is an expression, a form of the divine. Mm -hmm. um, and so we, unless you say non-dual doesn't include everything, um, yeah. uh, you see, and so if you reverse that in our picture of things, everything's divine, including sex and uh, including ourselves. And the question becomes, not a structural one, but an experiential one. Why don't we experience ourselves as souls? Why don't we experience mm. ourselves as uh, overlapping, resonant four and two dynamics in this topic? You see, and this is a good place to talk about how um, so many spiritual teachers have this otherworldly look in their eyes. Yes, and that mm -hmm. people perceive that as like magical, special, spiritually attained but it's actually floating off of their bottom chakras that makes people's eyes look like that. Yes, uh, what they call Shakti in that way, uh, in one use of the word Shakti, is like a suntan. It looks great, but it's actually got dermal damage to it. <laughs> right. same, same principle. It's a sunburn of the soul when you enlighten in the, um, in the old traditional way. And I, I just happened to notice it. Um, and mm -hmm. that is exactly what brought up in contrast how I myself, for, for emotional, emoto soulful reasons, stayed out of um, and souling one, two, and three. And I've had to work, well, the last 12 years exactly, basically, uh, when mm -hmm. I first started to realize it, to come all the way into my to the healthy versions of one, two, and three. Mm -hmm. so, and both you and I, correct me if I'm wrong, we can make our eyes look like that if we want to. Oh, yeah, sure. All you got to do is float off of your bottom three chakras that it happens. It's, yeah. I, I, for me, all I have to do is open seven, uh, open seven without opening one. And uh -huh. uh, and I, if I clench one and open seven, boy, I can be I can get all that Shakti if I yeah. want it. But I, I have about 10 seconds, like all I can hold it, and I feel like I'm going to implode, um, so mm -hmm. I have to stop it. So just I was just playing with that uh, a couple months ago, actually, uh, mm -hmm. looking at myself in the mirror. So again, what we just said here, these first 10 minutes, is so critical uh, to the topic that we're talking about, because when it finally comes down to it, the reason there's such problematic up and down and chaos and craziness in our intimate relationships is because we don't we can't connect to and for sexual sexual body with heartful soul because in the hara in the third chakra is our default uh, emotively uh, uh, inauthentic protector self residing right there, which doesn't allow the confluence between two and four. 
So that's the version of it. Um, and so that's why we say so often, unless you heal that uh, hara, so to speak, uh, hara healing from um, your protector version of, of, of uh, soulfulness uh, to your authentic soulfulness, pure, that doesn't protect, it expands, um, you're going to have problems with uh, intimacy. It's just that simple. And so EBE, the personal track of, uh, of uh, identity, addresses that directly um, and will address it even more directly when you have a couple session um, and uh, and you see uh, the and soul mentor and soul mentor mentor and soul mentor um, and soul mentor. That's yeah, a new so word. That, I haven't heard that. That's a new one. Yeah, I came up with that about three weeks ago. Um, oh, I see. It's a it uses uh -huh, mentor and insolment and it puts them yes. together. Very clever. Exactly. And soul mentor. It's a little clumsy coming out of the mouth, but um, still, an insolmentor will um, will notice that um, third chakra stuff is at at, at the deep point, um, the the cause of all the symptomatic problems that most couple therapists just um, treat the symptoms of, yeah. uh, because they, the two people are coming out of their inauthentic selves. So the third thing, the one plus one, you know, the third thing of the relationship is going to have problems because. <laughs> the two people have vertical problems, so the horizontal um, transaction of their uh, relationship uh, is um, is going to have problems well, too. It's, it's good timing for the term insolmentor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow, I'm still digesting that term. I, I've been having some breakthroughs in how I work with people in the last few weeks, and mm -hmm. uh, I was talking with Bree, your, your wife, about it just yesterday. How suddenly it's seeming so simple still challenging but so simple it's like mm -hmm. oh i just connect with the soul of the person that i'm talking to uh-huh it's like right. that's it and it either is coming forward and through yes. the local personality yes. or it's not yes but if i stay connected to that and i stay connected to how they're showing up somehow yes. just doing that causes them to connect their soul to their local personality Yes, it's a uh, uh, it's 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 inductive. Um, yeah, really an induction. Um, you you create that that pull forward to you by opening yours because four is a yin chakra, right? So yeah, and thanks for pointing out the pulling thing. Yeah, and yes, all uh, you have to do to be able to do that for someone is to be able to connect to your own soul. <laughs> yes, took me about twenty years to begin. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and your own soul is uh, on the rear of four. That's its entree. Uh -huh. And so, uh, um, in that way, uh, it, it's really simple in principle and yeah. really hard in practice, right? Yeah. But so, um, yeah, yeah, it's super exciting for me um, because, yeah, and now you put a, a word around it in soul mentor. Yeah. It's um, so simple to say, but so complex in application and even to get to the shores of being able to do it. Yeah, um, and the reason I, I like the um, uh, caboosing the um, mentor word to the locomotive of insolment um, uh, is because really we mentor, emotively mentor people in our work. We don't we don't take over their self authority. You see, mm -hmm. it, it has a really subtle but powerful message in that we're just mentoring, but. Emotively mentoring is uh, passes as actually soulfully um, transmutative. And so, in, in 1.0 version of the paradigm, yes, it yeah. was there was a willful like this is what a soul would do. 
Yes, exactly. That was sort of pushing on people, sometimes yes. gently, sometimes not, rather right. than educing out of what would your soul do. Yes, exactly. Exactly right, because I was still frameworking. Yeah. Um, I hadn't embodied my own teaching, and I couldn't while I was still busy trying to get the first version of it out into the world, right? But and, and, it did work. It did do a lot yes. of amazing things because you did have a bead on what a soul would do. Yes. It yes. just uh -huh. was not respective enough of people's own self-authority so that it would... Uh, so I, I guess if, yeah, it came too much from... Um, the facilitator's will, that's what we call them then, facilitators, came from the facilitator's will, and then it left the individual to use their will to try to ensoul themselves in a willful way, and then that was the, those, that was the metaphysics of the dead ending of it. Exactly, exactly. And that's why, why the, my teaching age just collapsed, as it should have. Um, it, ha it had to, it had to um, reach a limit of using, as you say, will to guide it more than heartful embodiment. And so um, I got the framework out and that's fine, yeah. but I, I had, it had to go down because I couldn't embody what my own tea, I couldn't walk the talk mm -hmm. uh, literally. And I, I can do that now fairly steadily. Um, I'll, I'll be working on it for a long time, uh, inch by inch in that sense. But Still enough to see the difference, and that already says how how different um, the the embodiment is for myself. Yeah, and in in it's been really big for me because I was trained in facilitating in the 1.0 version of the work, and so for me to learn <laughs> the new way of doing it is really amazing for me because I mean I don't even know how to find the words for it. It's like re rewriting myself in in a way, rewriting a story, um, and yeah. getting to educe. From my yeah. own soul in ways that 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 doesn't it's i mean it's tricky i don't know how to even express to people because there, there were there were some things that were uh definitely not good about 1.0 version of the paradigm mm -hmm. but right. there was a lot that was really good so it wasn't mm -hmm. like that was broken and wrong and now there's this new no. thing it's just no, no. It, it's evolved and i can also feel that the relationality um, cosmic context in which we're in now since 2012, yes. how that helps with that. It's like, oh, relationality is the name of the game now. Yes, yes. So like if I can just relate soul to soul with someone, magic happens. I don't know if that would have happened prior to 2012. No, no um, uh, and that's why that's really helped with my self-forgiveness, Joseph, that mm. you, is exactly the case because up until 2012 of December uh, December of 2012 the the young dynamical aspect of divine being was running the show and yeah. all that that uses will and wisdom first and manifestation first and uh it was only uh, it only took three years from 2012 to 2015 mm -hmm. uh when the when the yin divinity took over in 2012 for my version of it which was young uh, yangther I, I call it yangther uh like mother father yangther yinther um, uh, Yanther was was behind the whole uh, concretization and manifestation of the paradigm, mm -hmm. and so my own lack of a bit of, of relationality with myself and with others um, got exposed, and that was exactly the right thing. It couldn't have been any different. 
So that's why I always I always thought um, the 1.0 had 55 positive and 45 negative, um, and uh, uh, because it, it was in the very least it educated everyone who was in 1.0 better than any paradigm that I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. It educated them to think metaphysically, to sure. think paradigmatically, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. At any rate, uh, um, the point being here to to move forward is that that split between the divine and the human, which which forms and expresses into body and heart and then that degrades further into love versus um, sexual um, pleasure so in, in other words uh this is why in in uh, identity uh, we did this with the money with uh, uh, we didn't do the money one yet sorry um uh that the voice of of the split is perfectly captured by polyamory it's perfectly yeah. crystallized, right? Yeah. And here's here's uh, here's <laughs> here's identity's fun funny kind of little mantra about it uh, about um, uh, that polyamory covers the actual reality on the outside of the internal reality of I am so terrified of intimacy I have multiple partners so I collectivize the risk and privatize my benefit with sex where I want the most body pleasure for the least heart commitment. Um, that's how that, that's what polyamory is, clear and simple. Um, it's not a modern, new, higher energy, clearer, non-codependent kind of picture as most of their participants believe it is. It's, a, it's, like, the, it's like the Shakti. It's a, it's a false high. It's a, oh, the freedom you feel is the freedom of the protector version going, whew, I don't have to open my heart all the way. I can like them and that'll be good enough love. I'll like all my partners, you and know. That's, yeah, that's a really good example of um, how uh, just because something feels good doesn't mean it's healthy. Um, yes. I often exactly. think about it. I had a, a friend a long time ago who, was talking about how much he loved motorcycles and I, I just there was something he, he was an Enneagram seven and I remember vividly uh, I think about it all the time when I think about sevens where he's just the way he said it, he was like oh you've never had a motorcycle and he said it's just freedom the way he said it <laughs> it really sticks in my head like oh, like as if oh, that's that's so James Dean teenager I know it's just oh, like really riding a motorcycle oh. like that's what freedom is for you it's like it's it's so superficializes it and you know okay it feels good therefore it must be good rather than being a um an immature teenage kind of thing exactly um, and and you've got all that horsepower where between, between your legs, between of course. Legs, right? Very of empowering. Course. Yeah. Very empowering. Oh man, get those vibrations going, right? <laughs> so uh, that whole point is, I'm glad you you took slightly in that direction, Joseph, because um, all that stays shallow. The polyamory stays shallow, and what that does is um, it it takes away the the soulful and heartful vitality of things because. Raw emotive truth, however unpleasant or however painful it is, um, uh, the raw emotive truth um, is the foundation for non-codependence. Because what it does is it really, and we we don't in identity we tell people right up front, this is not about feeling good; it's about feeling real. 
And and the other side of the coin is where uh, we, we that we even have a phrase called negative emotions mm. is part of the problem. That that's such a a worldwide global meme of um, uh, of the human condition that there's even such things as negative uh, emotions. The only thing negative about negative emotions is you don't want to feel them. That's the only <laughs> negativity. Uh, there's a quote. Yeah, it's it's the simplest thing, and 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 we 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 help people find what they're hiding from, from in negative emotions. Negative emotions are like blips on a radar screen that is alerting us to discord and dissonance and woundedness in our hearts and souls. So when you want to transcend or uh, uh, not feel emotive um, uh, rawness and negative emotions. You're telling yourself, I want to swim in the shallow end of the human consciousness pool. Because it feels it's, better. Oh, God. It's, yeah. I can be in control then. Yes, Raw that's even more so. Yeah. yeah. Because it actually doesn't feel better. And that, I want to insert something yeah. about the um, feeling good versus feeling real thing. Um, right. Because it's, uh, there's a meta goodness to feeling what's real to feel. Yes. And yes. that's what is not available to green, to our protected self. It's just not yes. available that, that there's an inherent goodness in just feeling and honoring what the you, what your experience is, no matter what. Yes. It's a kind of and unconditional it, self-love in a way. It, it is. It is a, a meta-conditional yeah, meta form of, yeah. of self-love. Absolutely. It's a gift you give yourself. But I want to put a big asterisk on this. People are terrified of, of existential level terrors and fears and pains. And uh, I don't I don't want to um, um, go over this uh, too lightly is that yeah. that's really hard and you need a companion and guide for that. You need a safe space slowly built over time. We don't just drop uh, help people drop to their deepest existential. It's impossible anyway. Um, you've got to process your way to it. But well, once you that's get what some this, hallucinogens will do. Yes, they will. They'll rip open something, and then yeah. if you ride the, the 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 wave of that of that psychedelic and do something and process what you got out of it, mm -hmm. um, um, it will. It, it can be really helpful getting past some stubborn uh, places the protector doesn't want to go. Yeah. So it'll unplug some control, and that's what allows it. But you've got to follow it up with processing what the experience meant to you, um, and why why was it so problematic. Right. With another person. With another person. Because right. the wound was created in relationship, so it has to be healed in relationship. Exactly. That's, 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 that's what identity uh, maintains. So to summarize that piece, before we go on to the new stuff too here, is that an Edenist um, <laughs> will um, always wants to feel an unpleasant emotion that's real more than a pleasant one that covers over something unpleasant. Mm-hmm. That, that bears repeating in a couple of different ways. Um, an Edenist wants to feel real, doesn't need to feel good. He, want, uh, he or she wants to feel real and doesn't need to feel good. Uh, um, but I promise that when you, when you have a companion on your journey that helps you create a safe space to feel these horrific things uh, that come up, um, uh, decompensate, um, it, it makes all the difference in the world. I, I think I mentioned this in an early podcast that bears repeating. 
um, a, a, a psychiatrist, a fairly, a really fair, fairly well-known psychiatrist uh, uh, at the time, way back in 10, asked me, uh, "Am I understanding right that your your way is claiming that there's a positive to help people decompensate?" And I said, "Yeah." That's exactly right. And he was reacting in horror because he was brilliant enough to know that our 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 personalities are cobbled together um, uh, uh, because it, nobody could bear all the things that we've been through or feel in the human condition. So we have to compensate. And that's that's held together. Uh, and, a, and a psychiatrist uh, helps people stay together yeah. more functional than being real. Yeah. yeah, I just saw a headline recently that said something like uh, exercise shown to be just as effective with depression as antidepressants. Oh, oh God. And yeah. Just in that headline, right. like, oh, it just, God. It, uh, there it is. It's like effective in doing what? Making the symptoms yeah. of depression go away, which you identify as somehow healthy rather than getting to the bottom of where the depression comes from and letting it heal. And so there's yes. this a priori assumption about the negative yes. emotion thing. People right. don't even have to say that it's bad. Just that headline yes. asserts that depression is a negative emotion and whatever you do exactly. to make it to feel less of it is a good thing. That's the subliminal message that comes through. You're exactly right. And so but when this is what really where the rubber comes to meet the road, why? Why is intimate relationship, cisgender or non-cisgender, why is it so problematic and fraught? Why why does intimate relationship space dry up so often in our world, become problematic, uh, making people end vital bonds too soon or stay too long in stagnant ones or do affairs to what sort of degas the toxic buildup of disowned emotions? I mean, uh, uh, disowned emotions. That was a big phrase back in the eighties and nineties. I started in the seventies. Uh -huh. We 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 take off on that, and we own all the emotions. We are we want to de disown, not energetic versions of them, but the actual existential roots of our suffering, right, all the way down to the soul level. So um, the strategic uh, greens version of ourselves wants to avoid all that mess. And so it, it wants to get out too soon uh, of, of uh, difficult relationships or um, stay with them too long at a shallow level just to keep continuity going. Identity wants to, doesn't take, it wants to hit the middle between there where all the vitality occurs. All the vitality that's, that's been building up in those disowned negative emotions has life to it. It has life to it. So when we do our, the two, the people in the relationship, the intimate relationship, if the two do their vertical work, uh, they'd have to do the vertical work to change how the horizontal transaction of the bond works. You can't divorce the two. And that <laughs> that doesn't happen with just behavioral change. That's got to be between self <clears throat> self and other. If, there, if yes. you can otherify the other and then there's this non-relational split between self and other, then somehow you can work on the relationship and you don't have to do your own vertical work in order to yes. connect better. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly right. So um, that that all being uh, funneled in now, um, let's 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 look at the end goal here for what would be an emotive, emoto soulfully mature, non-codependent, inter interdependent bond. It has basically it has four talks to it. Um, uh, in what? principle, talks: um, heart talk, soul oh, talk, talks, mind okay. talk, right, and body talk, right. 
Um, so uh, in other words, you can have friendship with heart talk. You can even have friendship with soul talk. And you can even have friendship with mind talk. But when you put in body talk, uh, you've got intimacy. And how those four talks interweave, I'd like to just talk a little bit about that because that's our blueprint um, for um, really helping people both visualize in their mind and feel in their heart where, what the end game here is. Um, heart talk means uh, emoto personal content is exchanged. You know, I really feel shit today and I want to, I want to, I can feel you don't feel shit today, but I feel like shit today. And I don't want, I don't want you to think it has anything to do with you because I can feel like I just want to run away. Uh, I want to run away from our bond because something is frightening me right now. And I don't know what it is, but I'm certainly going to go talk to my insolment or next session about it. But I just want to let you know, so you don't build up a bunch of, of a resentment against me and think that I'm out to lunch. Mm-hmm. Now that, what I just did there, how often does that happen in in adult relationship? Um, Heart talk is self-revealing, it's vulnerability, it's it's staying on your side and owning what you feel and how that might affect the other, uh, uh, your your significant other. I think you might have just been reading that out in me because I said that (laughs) a couple of times in the last few days to to my lady. And, uh-huh. and it was different and new for me. And I remember like I was feeling sort of underwater with my reactions and it took mm-hmm. some effort and some courage. I could feel like some part of me definitely wanted to blame her. Uh-huh, and sure. um, and then once I realized like, well, no, it has nothing really to do with her. And then that same part was like, well, it's OK if she wants to think it's about her. And then it was like, wait, no, I don't want that, though. Oh, Joseph. Right. Exactly. And it took a little a little bit of courage. Like there was definitely some inertia that was like, no, you don't need to say anything. And it it took something to be like, no, I'm going to say this. And then she was really relieved because she was already feeling it, of course which is usually yes. how it is with men and women. <laughs> Whatever the man shares, the woman was feeling 20 minutes ago, if not three right. minutes ago. Yeah. Whether she was conscious of it or not, yeah. she was feeling it, right? Yeah. And so we try to make all the unconscious conscious mm-hmm. uh, uh, in this in this domain especially. So uh, soul talk. Soul talk is um, more the emoto spiritual context uh, for the heart talk content. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's uh, transacts transacts mostly in mutually resonant value systems. The meta uh, of the of the two souls involved can talk with each other uh, uh, relative to spiritual based value systems. Right. Um, it's really important for me to have quiet time when I'm uh, when I'm going through something. It, I need to digest it. Um, whereas that that's a yin um, factor in, in my experience, mostly with couples, that the woman is a slower to digest. Uh, uh, the, no, say the yin-based being <laughs> yeah. is a slower to digest than the yang-based being, because as yang-based beings, we can segment, we can segment um, our being, whereas a yin-based being is more whole and can, has trouble segmenting, which means. She would uh, a, a, a yin-based being would find would need more time to coalesce a feeling pattern into a, speci- a specificity mm. because she's gestalting. She's gestalting all the time, whereas we're segmenting. I can I I process really quickly just 
just because of the soul that I am. But um, my segmentation uh, would often, my, my green would make um, Brie, make me very impatient with Brie. Well, come on, get it as fast as I get this. Feel it as fast as I feel this. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I learned early on that uh, that was just a really cruel projection that mm. did not allow her the freedom to just be herself, right? I have a, a somewhat uh, technical metaphor um, related to that. It's it's a little geeky, but it's it's remarkably good. You can set up hard drives in an array called a RAID, and oh, um, mm -hmm. where they mirror each other, mirror. Right. Or there's all this other technology called striping. So you can take right. like four hard drives and make them one unit. And, and so they act as one hard drive and then it divides the data among oh. all four drives. It segments. Oh. Wow. And then you can get four times the speed, but you sacrifice the uh, storage capacity. I get it. Whereas mm -hmm. if you just use one drive, you get yeah. one fourth the comparative speed, but you get all of the storage capacity of that, of that one drive. And so which it. is better depends on what you want. They're yeah, different. Right, right. Just different. That's a great yang on metaphor for yang, the way yang consciousness works. That's yeah. exactly right. So, yeah, um, uh, I had a thought there for a moment. Give me a second. Uh, the uh, so when we are are um, when we have soul talk in the in the context uh, a, met, a meta to things segment the segmenter has the upper hand because you can then go into mind the mind talk which uh, uh, crystallizes and ideates the meta feelings that you get in the soul mind talk uh, is more um, mutually resonant intellectualization or description descriptions of what you feel and what what you mean as opposed to just uh, coming from pure feeling and again, uh, uh, yin-based beings are at a disadvantage uh, unless you have a more enlightened yang being as a partner, because in, the, in those senses, even an ideation and creating ideational gestalts out of the bigger uh, unifying gestalt of the yin requires um, a yang use the woman to, or the um, yin-based being to um, uh, uh, use her one-third yang to do that and it goes slower mm -hmm. so um, mind talk uh again uh, mansplaining is a good yeah uh, it's a good metaphor for that uh, men men can mansplain and think that well why aren't these women getting it in the and feminism latter versions anyway uh they just it's like man spreading on the uh, on a train or an l or something you know the men will spread their legs and not let anyone sit next to them and mansplaining <laughs> i always see see that uh, those linked that way um mm. So mind talk is when you can share ideational resonance with the values that are spiritually held in meta and how the heart is talking at any one moment. Um, I used to remember in 1.0, Joseph, I used to say, don't let uh, three seconds pass before you um, uh, say express, you say what you feel, uh -huh. something yeah. like that. Mm -hmm. There's an immediacy of heart talk that uh, we are just not conditioned to do. We simmer, we digest, we we what we want the other person to like us or not. Um, uh, if we were we're in our green right now, um, or if we're in our green to want them to like us, shrink to fit. So in these ways, um, uh, heart talk, soul talk, and mind talk are are not separate categories as much as illuminating arising depthful for uh, the deepest is soul talk then there's heart talk then there's mind talk 
And then that all is supposed to be in place. Resonant values, resonant minds and hearts and souls. Then we come to body. Uh, how often does that happen? Um, uh, to For people, it's just impossible in our modern society, but you, you can imagine baking the first three, heart talk, soul talk, and mind talk, say for six months before you ever have sex. That, that's just <laughs> oh, that's not, not going to happen. That right? would be very because, difficult. Yes, because I mean, that's not what we're saying. So I just want to <laughs> put that out there. Mm. Uh, and, and, the, and the thing is, is that uh, if there's a sensibility between two kind of porous souls that those are, there's inherent resonative soul talk, heart talk, and mind talk, well, they're going to go for it uh, a lot sooner in body talk, and that's not unreasonable. Mm -hmm. So what we've got to do is once we add body talk now, that just doesn't mean um, uh, a good sex. It, of course, includes sex that isn't uh, fraught with challenges at every step uh, as we change in our souls our heart soul heart of soul uh, in the longer term personhood track of course it's going to affect how we relate to our own body urges and body um, states and so that's evolving too there's never nothing ever stays the same in identity uh, the, the 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 track that we're all on is that we're ego is a verb not a noun to be transcended it's a verb to be watered and participated with right so it uh, it also means uh, body talk also means sensual um pheromonic kinds of resonances uh um i i've had uh, i've not had that many lovers in life um but um there was there were two women in my in my out of my the 13 that i've um i had intimacy with uh, where the pheromones just raged, they were so um, they were so uh, powerful for mut mutually pheromonic. Uh, mm -hmm. So, um, but that also means not just sexuality, but sensuality. The people, the two people, like to be touched in similar ways. They don't have mm -hmm. to be the same way, but resonant ways. My back is um, is uh, uh, polymorphically perverse. Uh, <laughs> uh, a woman uh, touching me a certain way with her fingertips on my back, I go wild. Me um, too. Do you? Yeah. I, I don't. It doesn't surprise me, Joseph, uh, because she's touching my soul mm. in some way through the body on the back. I'm not that at all that sensitive in the front uh, as yeah. much as I never on really my thought back. about that. Yeah, my back's way more sensitive, which is odd because the front side is yin. Yeah, um, but uh, it's also soulful. The first contact of our souls comes through the rear of four. So especially around fourth chakra um, is is the word. And yeah. Brie is exactly the same way. I'm not giving any secrets out here. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, um, to to um, um, foreplay uh, with, the, with, our, with our rear fourth chakras is really powerful. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's not just good sex. It's the, it's the whole enchilada. It's the it's the way the the more our soul, as you said in the beginning here, uh, comes through our local personality, the more soulfulized we become. The more the more our our sexual um, bandwidths of being also become enheartened and ensouled, and so um, things slow down, become more um, uh, uh, intimate. Um, uh, uh, the, 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 the cultural meme that's out there, especially for men, but I've seen women do it too, that want to end an argument because uh, they, they just want to have sex in the middle of the argument to get out of the, <laughs> the hard part of it. Uh, 
before they solve it. I was with one woman who wanted to do that constantly. We fought a lot, so she wanted a lot of sex. Um, what did makeup sex before you made up? Makeup sex as the way to stop having the argument, right? Oh. And then afterward, it's, it's um, definitely got a cake feel, and eat it too uh, flavor oh, oh to it. Oh my god! I mean, I, I I was young and silly in those days, and but I I learned pretty quickly that. At the end, the end game. Okay, okay. So maybe there's two orgasms, maybe three, and then and then she's she's all mellow in that way. And uh, I would say, so oh, who cares? It's just all blah 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 anyway. Right. Right. And never got nothing ever got solved. You see, I admit I've tried that. Yeah, I, I tried <laughs> that and dead ended it pretty quickly. Like you know, it dispels the conflict and then it starts to rise, sort of like a slow flood comes back. Yeah, for another day. Okay, so that's uh, let's move on to the next uh, subtopic of the sub thing. Um, another big thing in intimate relationships, if you add heart talk, soul talk, mind talk, and um, body talk to the whole stew of a, of a, in relationship, what happens is we trigger each other all the time um, in intimate relationship. And the principle that identity starts with on that is no one ever makes us feel anything mm -hmm. we can get uh if, if brie can do something that triggers up my feeling but what she did didn't make me feel that way it's it's how i already felt somewhere consciously or unconsciously in me so this phrase is that you'll never hear in a, in an in, heartened uh, intimacy is you make me feel like shit or you make me you give i go to the seventh level of heaven because of you um right cuts both ways goes yeah. but cuts both ways mm -hmm. um and, and this is not i wish this was this kind of thing was taught in senior year in high school uh, mm -hmm. uh in western countries um where everything that you feel is from you that doesn't mean we don't need other to trigger love, for example, or trigger um, uh, uh, upset. Yeah. And it's then just... the high school student would go home and say, Mom, Dad, I learned that um, when someone makes me feel bad, it's actually because it triggered a wound that you put into me. <laughs> How well did that go over? Can you imagine <laughs> that? That reminds me. Um, I did do that. Uh, I, I got a. I think I talked about it in another podcast. Really quick aside, um, I did a class on emotions for um, uh, sixth graders, uh, seventh grade, sixth and seventh grade, I think, or fifth and sixth. I forget. And uh, we started to give the kids, uh, me and the teacher, um, got, uh, um, the teacher and I uh, got to, uh, what are you feeling right now? Because I'd pay $1,000 for a tape, for a videotape of that. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> and, and we had to help the kids. What, right now, what do you feel? Don't, if they yeah. looked up with their eyes, we said, no, no, don't look up there. Feel down here. What are you feeling? And some one kid would start it off and go, I'm I, I'm so sad. I want to cry. I would oh. say it like that and say, and then we would work with him for five minutes or so and say, so if you didn't, um, you sounded pretty angry there. Um, now, can you show us just a, a second, two seconds of your sad? And then the kids with just a little bit of practice could do that so easily. Yeah. And so we had this class that lasted two weeks. Um, uh, we, we had, th had three classes. So we did it um, once a week for three. And the kids were going home. Um, telling their parents how they felt, and oh, when the no. parents went, what? Uh, and then the parents went, "What are you talking about? 
shut up. That's I don't, I don't want to hear that. Um, In other know, words, we spent years getting them to repress these feelings, and now exactly. they're all coming out. And you're making our job harder. Yes. And the oh, worst man. one, of course, is what what submarine the whole thing after three and a half weeks was some born again uh, Christians, Pauline's um, Pharisees, I call them these days. Uh, uh, the born again Pharisees um, who live by the letter of the law, not the spirit of the law, yeah. right? Exactly what Yeshua said. Um, they complained to the school district um, that this was becoming a religious, uh, you couldn't do that in a public school. Uh, because they were, I was, we were teaching the children that how they felt was important, and it's not how they feel. Uh, what what they feel is important. What they think is important. What's important is what Jesus thinks and what God thinks, not us. And but if you start a public school, a public school, right? The principal of the school gave us permission to do this. That's how enlightened that principal was but all it took was one family coming in and saying um they they spiritually they religiousized it yeah. instead of uh, seeing the emotion as completely different oh, like than their their stance was it was it was like um it's like the same uh, platform as uh pro-life people like somehow this is yes. infringing on our religion like yeah. it's a first it, amendment thing oh god that's well that's all it right and so we had to cancel it right away, uh, of course. It was a risk. We both knew it was a risk, sure. and the principal knew it was a risk, but we were all keeping our fingers crossed uh, that this might be something really simple, very simple. What do you feel right now? And that that that's also, I don't think we've said that before in podcasts, is that mm -hmm. uh, real emotivity is not considered. It's right now. It's now, now, now. Anything else is going to be a feeling version of that emotive, that uh, that yeah. emotive. And I was just talking with a client this morning about this, who's a, a fellow Enneagram three like me, and we're talking about how important it is to remember. You don't just automatically know what you're deeply feeling. No, and no, I, it's something it's I remind not. myself all the time because there's still a, a self-imagic should. Like, of course, I know what I'm feeling. I should know what I'm feeling instead of like, no, that's like the, the top six inches of the water. Maybe you have access <laughs> exactly. to, but exactly. like really down below the surface that it's OK to not know what that is because we didn't have parents that supported that. And exactly. That's a real kind of, um, you know, like just a mental barrier, I think, for a lot of people to to uh, to really take on like, yeah, it's all happening here and I'm not connected to that. That That's a big leap for a lot of people oh boy you could say that twice uh and so that's why that's why there's a a, a long-term baking mm -hmm. uh there's so much deconditioning uh in in uh emo, emo, emotional body and soul and in the personal track and identity there's deconditioning and reconditioning um it's not when and even that even happens in sagehood where we don't say we go from conditioning to no conditioning <laughs> it's uh, everything is deconditioning to reconditioning and so in that sense so it takes so long in a gentle way in a loving supportive way um, to help people get past those first six inches of their feeling version of an emotion so in that sense um uh, um, that's a, a, pr a primary foundation of how EBE works and without any hypnosis or without any visualized um, uh, um, uh, meditations. 
we we help you feel your way to your your emotional real emotions and then to your core emotives um, um uh, both wounded and um uh, and healthy the healthy we talked about last time joy sorrow and compassion but uh, the uh, 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 the opposite just whatever um value system you're in just go to the opposite of joy sorrow and compassion whatever your version is and that's the, the wounded version of each of each of those. So the negative emotions, one and all in that sense, uh, and we, we, re, we decondition the, the, um, the emotional states that are wounded and recondition them to your own soulful inhabitation of your heart of soul. So that all sounds really great, doesn't it? Uh, but man, <laughs> is it hard. It really is hard. So, all right. So, I wanted to make sure we we, we covered that. Um, uh, no one makes you feel anything you uh, at all. You only trigger it. Um, and again, I, first time I said that to someone in 1.0, um, I think it was before your time, Joseph. Uh, they said, "Well, that's narcissistic." Uh, and do you see why they said that? Well, yeah, I mean, we could go down a rabbit hole. I think we've talked about that in the context of Did like we? NLP, whereas like NLP oh, is yes. like mm -hmm. nobody causes you to feel anything and you don't cause anyone else to feel anything. They go even right. further. Yes. So right. you're not, um, they would say by our definitions of responsible and responsive, they would say yes. you're not responsible for how you make other people feel, which we would agree right. with. And they yes. would go on to say, and you're not not to be responsive either. And we would say, yes. well, hold on a second. <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. We we soul, soulfulize uh, and thereby undermine NLP's um, whole picture as uh, half true, but that's always the case because there's lots of right things about Advaita Vedanta and Zen. Um, yep. They do more damage because they carry accurate bandwidths of the diagnosis of the human consciousness condition. Yeah. So NLP does worse damage because they got it half right. Yeah, um, and that and that digs a hole for them that a rabbit hole that is going to be really hard to get out of. Um, uh, uh, um, so same thing I've seen versions in Diamond Heart. Diamond heart, diamond, the hardest uh, 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 substance known to man, diamond heart. How do you put those two together without some somewhere, something being really off about whoever named that? Uh, <laughs> well, it's perfect. It's, it's perfect, though, because the light goes through it. You can't put yes. your finger through it, but the no, light passes no. <laughs> through it. There's lots of very shiny, sparkly, fun things. Exactly. That's what the people who've done that paradigm that look like. They're very sparkly. There's a lot of light yes. there, but not a lot of warmth. And not not a lot of warmth. And that's why we don't criticize Diamond Hutter and LP. If you you gotta you've got to stick with what you're doing until it dead ends. And if you listen to this podcast um and you hear, oh, I never thought of it that way. Well, maybe that was the only reason you listened to the podcast. We're not trying to proselytize, we don't try to convert. We're not looking to find followers. We're simply wanting to sow seeds out there of healthy doubt in everything, including identity. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, um, uh, uh, it's really important to emotionalize the other side that we to be responsive for our impact on others uh, and add the other missing piece. And our peers... Go ahead. I, I just realized, uh, speaking of that, um, that I think I met you 20 years ago this month or plus or minus a month. Oh, yeah. Two, mm. 20, 20, 2003. Wow. Nice. 
good moment to inject <laughs> that explosive. I don't know why it came up there for a second. I, it was a trigger for it, but um, I would, maybe my own dead ending. I was dead, dead ending NLP in the form of landmark education at the time. Oh, sure. Oh, right. sure. And yeah, uh, yeah Peter principled that out. And um, yeah, and I heard something, heard you speak, and it was like, oh, this is different. And I had a lot of doubt at first. I, I really did. Um, mm -hmm. and, As you should. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway, sorry to interrupt you there. Oh, <laughs> no, no problem. Um, uh, we got, we got to go to another really important thing that I have not heard standard um, treatments of yin yang or men, women, cisgender kinds of. Oh, wait. Uh, uh, before we go there, go I want to talk about the triggering. I want to insert something about triggering. Um, okay. Because there's another, uh, I think we've talked about it, but it should fit in this context again that in one way it's the your partner's job to trigger you because that's yes. why you chose them yes because the point <laughs> yes. of your relationality is in at least in large part to heal your unconscious childhood wounds so um that's that changes the whole frame for how they quote make you feel not only did they not make you feel that way because it was already there, but you should be thanking them for making you, quote, making you feel that way. Because yes. otherwise you would never remember what it felt like to be the child of your mother and father. Exactly right. Uh, oh, that's a really important point to remind us. Good, Joseph. Uh, and I don't hear paradigms really go that squarely, like this is the point of it, rather than right. it's this ancillary thing. Yeah, we trigger each other. It's hard instead of you know, steering toward that and being like, yeah, that's why we're together in part. Exactly. And when I, when I can, and Bree does, does this too, when I can process all the way down to the root of my contribution to a struggle, I'm, I always thank her. I, if it you. wasn't for, for that dark part of you, that dark part of me, I couldn't have found it. Yeah. I um, don't do that enough. That's, yeah, that, that takes an extra amount of gold to show up in that moment. <laughs> After getting through all that shit, to, you know, it's so difficult and painful and confusing. And then to thank them for the experience. Wow. That's, yeah. that's big. Um, and, and, and she does the same. Uh, so in that way, um, you know, we give all these principles of identity and we don't expect people um, to, um, to be able to do them immediately or even understand them immediately. But yeah. um, what's that saying? Um, it's a bit of a bromide, as Ayn, Ayn Rand used to say. Um, oh, uh, planting um, seeds uh, for trees. That one? Uh, no, no, that one I only heard it myself. But I think someone else actually said it. I might have made my own version of it. But the one that says um, our uh, uh, our reach should should exceed our grasp, or what's a heaven for? That's uh. the that's the quote. You know, that we're planting seeds, as Joseph just said. But when we're putting them out of reach of your current, um, usually most people's current version of themselves or even what they are, they know what to dream about um, and about what a human condition might entail. And so the reach may be outside your grasp um, uh, uh, at the moment, but um, that's the whole point. We don't grow unless our reach is beyond our grasp. Yeah, right? there's that same thing. I think I talked about last time or the time before about how uh, the physical and mental metaphor, you know, if like you're not squinting yeah. your brain to understand the thing, you're not getting smarter. And if it's right. easy to lift the weight, you're not getting stronger. So oh, but we don't day. appreciate yeah. that in the emotional domain because right. we think that there's such a thing as a negative emotion. That'd be oh, like, yeah. that'd be yeah. like it, was, wow. it just reminds me of this. I think it was Bill Murray in a really old Saturday Night Live, and he plays Hercules, um, 
And, but he's gotten all fat and out of shape. Remember that when it was like the oh, late 70s? Oh, I do, I do. I, I and, remember the image. I yeah, don't remember and, the- and the king or whatever, and it's all dubbed really badly. And the king of whatever is like, go ahead, Hercules, pick up that rock. And, and Bill Murray as Hercules goes, that rock is too large. I could lift a smaller one. And they're like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, just because it doesn't feel good doesn't mean it's not for you, that it won't help you. And our conditioning, the whole negative emotion thing makes us push all that away. And then we stay emotionally atrophied. Yes. Yes. All right. Wonderful that we squeezed that one pretty well, didn't we? Um, good. I'm glad you added that piece, uh, Joseph. Yeah. But, but let's get down. Let's get, get down again. We're going to use cisgender as the baseline, but um, it. The principles, everything we say about cisgender also applies to every version of LGBTQIA plus that's out there, just in different proportions. So an LGBTQIA plus, we have to modify, but we can still apply exactly what um, what we're saying here in principles. And uh, one of the reasons why uh, what they call the war of the sexes, we're going to stay cisgender again, but but um, that all applies with yin and yang, not male and female, mm. um, technically, um, is that there's a reason for why from way deep down that's been off the radar screen of of every relational paradigm, uh, intimate relational uh, self-help or psychological or even philosophical um, treatise on the war of the sexes and why that is. And identity offers one, and I got this many, many years ago, and it's still amazing to me how it's not out there very much. And that is all the problems, all the challenges, all the challenges in in male-female yin-yang interactions is down to a very basic thing that men come out of the same gender they have to mate with but women come out of the opposite gender that they mate with in cisgender fr- frameworks that's what we're just starting with that it's not all inclusive in this moment we're just doing the principle here in other words now let's make it yang yin a yang based being comes out of the same uh, 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 gender, uh, the op, the op, the same gender that they um, are want to bring their yang to the yin of the other. Opposite. And yang comes opposite. out of the opposite. Yang comes out of yin. Yang comes out of the out of the. Uh, no, I was saying it the other way around. Oh, we, you're inverting. Men it. have to men have to mate with the same gender that they came out of. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm just going from the other side. Okay. Whereas women, women come out of the, uh, uh, they come out of the same gender they are. And so they're drawn to the opposite gender. Uh, but we, men have got a real problem here. We're, we, we have to find a way to liberate ourselves from our first love, which is mommy. We have to find a way to get her out of us somehow. Because if we don't, we're not going to be ready to um, go into a relationship with a woman unless we've cleared our mommy issues. Because we come out of both men and women come out of women. If that isn't if that isn't right there, a principle of divinity that yin is more primary than yang, like we said last time, uh, much more primary a dynamical bandwidth of consciousness. Uh, we yeah. the, there's the metaphor. It's interesting right? thought experiment if. If men and women had sex and it was just luck of the draw, which one got pregnant uh-huh. and half the time it was men and half the time it was women, what would the world uh-huh. look like then? 
Oh man, wow. <laughs> I never thought of it that way. That's, Would there still be well, a patriarchy? Yes. Well, see, that's the thing. Pat- uh, since we never do, our, we're not. We're, it's not in the culture for us to do what what used to be called the Oedipal arc, the Oedipal mm-hmm. work. Um, and what used to be called the electro work uh, for women, that's fallen by the wayside. It's not, I haven't heard uh, those terms um, uh, really focused in on, but identity takes them down the road and past because it's an emotion-based paradigm, soulful, emotional, soulful. We take it far, far deeper, the electra and the Oedipal. So if a son doesn't work out his Oedipal issues with his mama from way deep down, then he's gonna have to learn it with the woman of his intimate life. Um, and we're not, we're, none of us, none of us heal that before we ever get into, into um, relationship with women. Yeah. And and on the cisgender side, again, uh, when a yin-based being is drawn to the opposite, because they already, they share the same gender as the mother, I mean, are drawn too, too much to two men, that's created the kitchen syndrome that feminism came to fight, because they're naturally tuned to, to uh, go further toward men than women in in normal in the old ways in the old ways anyway um, uh, to be too dependent on men and that's what feminism came to try to right uh, the wrong of and it did socially and um, and and uh, um, and been business and commerce but they failed miserably in the personal that's the limit of feminism because it's not it's not ba- it's based on behaviors and energies and uh, and and intellectual truths that are all real. But what they did is they turned women into um, to uh, you, fighting the over yang in men with their own overuse of yang, and so that's they fought fire with fire, and that's fine. They had to do that in these other domains, but when it, when feminists were challenged to do it in personal relationships, it became the the new kind of template where women are drawn as we said before to softer men uh, uh more heartful men that they can control um like men controlled women uh and, and if a woman is is pick such a man that they can control they're having a relationship with a son or or or, or a, a a friend not not a real mate uh, just like if a, ma- a patriarch is having a relationship with a woman and she's in the kitchen and he's in charge of the of the whole, uh, he, he's having a relationship with a daughter or a child uh, yeah. or, and a woman with a son, with a child or a friend. Uh, and sometimes not, both of those are happening at the same time in different moments yeah. in different domains. Exactly. So it's a real mess to try to unravel, but identity cuts through all that really directly by just working with what versions of those kinds of things are in the in the couple, whether it's cisgender or non-cisgender. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I just want to put in here as a headline that without the Oedipal and Electra work, which identity does exquisitely without even needing to name it as Electra and Oedipal, we find that all the repressed emotions of men and women toward their mommies and their daddies uh, it finds all of them indiscriminately. And then, oh, look, there's an Oedipal thing there. It comes up secondarily or tertiarily. So in that sense, um, patriarchy is nothing but a compensation for an insecure man who never did his mama work and so doesn't doesn't really have confidence with women. A confident man is not a patriarch. Only insecure little boys are, are patriarchs. And same thing with matriarchs that feminism indirectly supported the genesis of. They're ju- they're just they're 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 ma- they're female matriarchs. Uh, 
Um, they want they run the show now, but but they say they want to have it more equal. But they chose men a lot of times um, who can't join them in that same way. They look yeah. those shiny eyes of their of their softer, more sensitive men. Just, whatever you say, honey, you know, or or I can go along with that. Um, I think I disagree, but you know what? I love you. So you know, never bringing their own um, uh, a solid thing to it. That's an overgeneralization, I know, but There's that's just a, the pattern. An example of that in, from my life. There's a, a woman that I know who um, uh, was, talks about her husband sometimes as like, uh, you know, he's just such a little boy sometimes, and you know, complains about him, and you know, he, he you know, he sends me photos of insignificant things. He's kind of complaining about his immaturity, and I'd heard it a fair amount and was starting to get a little tired of it. So I said. So what's good about that for you? <laughs> you you can't you confronted her with that? Yeah, you know, gently, just like you know, what's good about having you know uh, being with a man who's immature like that, knowing what the answer was. So the answer was she sure. gets to control him. Yes, uh, and, exactly. And, and it was it was a very long pause, and uh, yeah, I don't remember. She didn't say anything uh, about the control, and it wasn't my place to to point that out. She wasn't a client of mine or something, but. Um, it's uh that that's the essence of um of codependence really it's like or in yes. in relationships each person will it can, very easily can complain about what the other person is doing but then right. why did you choose that is the question yes. what's right. your side right. of it well why did why, why it's it's like um turn the other cheek thing you know someone strikes you and uh, and turn the other cheek means how how did i not see that coming same principle here. Uh, uh, you drew that person. Did you think you weren't drawing them from the subconscious, the unconscious, as much as the conscious? That's that's the way to look at this. Uh, um, that that uh, we draw partners that are supposed to mirror our unconscious to us. Another way of saying what you said earlier, the tree in the trigger way that we have to embrace that. If you are drawn to that person, as you say, the right interjection is. And what's good about that for you that you're complaining about? And that reversal doesn't happen that often in standard therapy, in my experience. Yeah, and right. it's so it can be it's it's so deep, you know. Like I think about the relationships I was in prior to getting, you know, at least fairly deep into uh, the 1.0 version of this work. The I was attracted to women that I was much bigger than, mm -hmm. you know, that I could easily con could, could control. Sure. They, they didn't threaten me in any domain. And That's then right. I would be disappointed or saddened or felt unmet that they weren't mm -hmm. as big as me at the same time. And then mm -hmm. when I think about the women I, uh, more and more that I've been attracted to, they're women who actually are capable of challenging me. But yes. that requires a level of security that I definitely did not have, you know, prior yes. to, you know right. definitely not in my 20s and not even in my early 30s because it, yeah. you know, so it's uh, careful what you wish for and all. That. Yes, exactly. And in that sense, uh, patriarchs um, look strong. Mm -hmm. they, they, they look like they're confident. The degree of the confidence in a patriarch is the degree on the other side of their insecurity. They're just covering it. Mm -hmm. Scratch the surface of a patriarch, you've got a, an insecure little boy shaking. Um, scratch the surface of a soft, sweet man. You've got a patriarch down there somewhere. That's um, far more popular these days. Yes, uh, exactly right. Um, I've never seen a soft, sweet guy not have a patriarch, but it's buried. Mm -hmm. So 
you may as well learn what the middle healthy thing is because either way you're either going to be patriarchal or matriarchal um, uh, uh, somewhere in your being consciously and expressively or down in the unconscious um, and in that sense uh, you couldn't be a patriarch if you're confident like we said really when you have really core self-worth you're not patriarchal and like you said you got more secure and a secure man wants a peer yeah. They don't want someone they're bigger in consciousness of. Uh, and so Brie was the first woman I ever met that could meet me where I was soulfully and heartfully. And boy, did my green have to work hard to keep uh, that away in mm -hmm. my in very specific ways. Until yeah, I got yeah, because it's Go all ahead. fun and games, you know, when they meet you and you get to, you know, like, um, you know, the woman I'm with now is, I think, the first woman I've ever been with who can match me in in the level of metaphysics. Yes. She doesn't necessarily enjoy it as much as I do, but she can totally <laughs> go there. Yes, um, absolutely. And right. uh, so like, that's great. And so that's all wonderful. And then it's like when she sees right through my shit, like no one has ever seen before, then my green shows up is like, oh, I don't like this part so much. You know, you That's the cake and eat it too dynamic. You know, well, you get all of the dreams exactly. and nightmares come true. Nightmares for green. Oh, yes, all the <laughs> dreams and the nightmares come true with a real mate. So anyone who sold you on soulmateism as uh, uh, heavenly, 95% uh, of the time sold you a bill of Schweinescheisse. Uh, it, uh, it's equal parts, nuclear war and, uh, and fulfillment, uh, healthy fulfillment. Let's take on another uh, big um, uh, rhinoceros in the room about um, mm. about uh, again. We're using cisgender as as the as the um, template, but it can apply in yin yang, different uh, dimensions and percentages with anything in LGBTQIA plus. Uh, uh, being a sensitive man is not the same as being a vulnerable man, mm. or a sensitive woman. It doesn't necessarily mean a vulnerable woman. Vulnerability is an entirely different domain in, in, in identity uh, than sensitivity. Vulnerability, you can be sensitive without being vulnerable, but you can't be um, vulnerable without being sensitive. Brie once you said uh, about vulnerability, um, was it, I think it was a conversation. She said to someone, well, was it scary to say? And uh -huh. the person said, no. And she goes, well, then it wasn't vulnerable. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, there's exactly. your definition right there. Yeah. Oh, and I just got to, I have to cavel a little bit over that one. Uh, I, I, I made a great coloring book uh, in the framework, uh, <laughs> you know, like a kid's coloring book. But Brie has come in, in the personhood especially and colored in all the colors of the things from the yin point of view that it was literally impossible for me to do. Um, in processing, people processing. So at any rate, a lot of uh, uh, the reason I bring this up is that a lot of feministas um, choosing a softer, more vulnerable, artistic, um, a softer, not vulnerable, sensitive man. They we we were conditioned to think that sensitivity is the same thing as vulnerability, and that's the same confusion as feeling and core emotion, right? Sensitivity oh, is the downstream, energetic version of vulnerability. Exactly. Ask any woman who's ever fallen in love with a poet or a musician. Um, very sensitive men. Uh, do you think to Papa Hemingway, uh, for example, you think he was vulnerable? You know what kind of sensitivity he had, but he was a rock of, uh, and I'm not saying that in a positive way, Papa Hemingway, they call him. He was the ultimate patriarch. 
So artistic sensibilities and sensitive uh, sensitive men who can abstract and write beautiful poems that doesn't make them vulnerable uh, women or yin-based beings out there, whether whatever gender you are. Sensitivity is not the same as vulnerability. So if you were drawn to a vulnerable, to the some, what seemed like a vulnerable person, um, but they haven't done their inner work, then you've got a sensitive person because like Bree said, all the all the resistances are unconscious to us mostly. Doesn't it scare you? Well, no. Well, we're not conditioned to. Oh, if it didn't scare me, then yeah. I'm not vulnerable. Well, uh, and, we're not and, conditioned. And not only do they not go together um, necessarily, but they um, sometimes are even opposite in a way because yes. very sensitive people. I think it's harder for them to be truly vulnerable right. because they hurt so much. Yeah. And they fear so much. It's like everything's just more. So it's mm -hmm. easier to non-vulnerably express feelings for a highly yes. sensitive person because yes. it being really vulnerable, it's it's more scary for a sensitive person. So they're not going to do it. Ex oh, great point. The I'm speaking about myself, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, and an earlier version of me uh, also. I've got, what, 30 years on you? No, 25 years old. Yeah, about you, 25. Something like that. Um, so, yeah, um, sensitivity, whew, I can do that easy. I was a singer. So I, I wrote a song once, and the song that was most pop, second most popular when I used to do concerts was um, a song I wrote to every woman who ever hit the end of a marriage or a long-term relationship with a soft man. Yeah. Oh, he's great. He's wonderful. And the starvation index just over the years and so many of those kinds of relationships gets more and more. And the heartbreak it takes to separate from a man that you're not getting fed by, but who you love A to Z in what many ways is one of the hardest things uh, I've ever seen. I had so many women I helped de um, uh, 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 get in touch with how unfulfilled they were with the man they truly loved. There's and, and women uh, have, are stronger than men in many ways uh, because of their more unified gestalt. Um, but uh, uh, the, I, I, that's where the metaphor Joseph came from to saw off a leg in yeah. order to escape a trap. Yeah. Um, to help, I've helped women over the years saw off what felt like a love leg to and go crawl away bleeding, break the heart of themselves and uh, one part of them and the man. When all of their family is going, are you kidding? He's such a great guy. He loves you, blah, blah, blah. He makes plenty of money or or he whatever he does, you guys are so great together. You're leaving him? What do you think? This kind of man grows on trees out there? Mm -hmm. um, and I've helped so many women in the 80s and 90s and uh, early 2000s uh, that way. I wrote a song, uh, to uh, dedicate a song to all strong women who had had to saw off their love leg to, to escape the trap of an okay man and not one who fed their heart and soul. So all of these things, um, I want to start to close here because we've got some more things to cover. Um, um, but that that um, the whole principle here is, is that when when we're there's no sexual politics in identity. There's only heartful soul, one heart and soul 
connecting, trying to connect intimately with another heart and soul, whether it's it's the same genders, whether it's cisgenders, whether it's queer, whether it's it's uh, um, uh, 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 whatever it is, and any of that LGBTQIA plus indefinite plus, right? Um, mm. uh, we're all we all have yang and yin aspections in different percentages, so. Um, all of the principles we're saying here apply equally to even non-cisgender. Uh, it's just clearer to teach it because there's a very clearer picture of the percentage there. And it gets all mixed up in different percentages, which is fine. That's where the, everyone's at in those in that whole domain. But in that sense, um, we don't there's no politicking. We uh, there's no male or female um, content that that is more powerful or less good or more good than in the other gender. Uh, it's uh, there, There's no war between the sexes. It's the war between the greens. Um, <laughs> whether or whether, whatever the configuration is, man to woman, woman to woman, man to man, or any combination thereof, uh, the souls and hearts are brought together, are drawn to each other for reasons that are both beautiful, poetic, and true and real, and equally amount, as we said just a moment ago, I want to summarize with it, is that that is, there's heartbreaking challenges. So this is what is what is missing in um, polyamory or non-monogamal uh, orientations. Identity would say, you want to be a grown-up this life? It doesn't mean monogamy married for 60 years. Just be serially monogamous as you learn about yourself. And if you have to try um, other uh, uh, configurations with uh, man to man, woman to woman, do that. But be serious, serially monogamal, because if you don't, if you don't, you're going to lose out on all the richness and soulfulness that emotively mature interdependence, not codependence, is waiting for us to to explore. Uh, I never was uh, um, um, uh, uh, non-monogamous. Um, I had a couple slippages where I was fooling around before I ended the relationship all the way non-integrously of the previous uh, woman, uh, but it was always close. <laughs> I, I didn't date date uh, with women. I mated with women in one way as best as I could in my conscious self. Little did I know that in my unconscious self, I was keeping it at arm's distance because I hadn't settled my mommy issues. Mm. Um, so in that way, uh, there, there's something so rich and unexplored uh, in emotively mature monogamy that has nothing to do with the rabidly codependent monogamy, monogamal model that 85% of long-term relationships carry is a codependence, not interdependence. So that alone is our, that's our reach beyond our grasp here. Uh, every couple is different, whether I, I, I can also marry people in a couple of different states. I've married uh, um, uh, cisgender. I've married uh, uh, same gender. I've even married one where one of the partners was um, a little trans uh, a long time ago before it was, it was popular. So there's, there's no cisgender uh, patriarchy uh, in this at all in identity. But, oh, to explore, what does it mean for me to be a yin, biologically yin-based being? I'm biologically based. I have all the genitalia of a woman, but I don't feel like one. 
what's going on here? To be curious about that. Uh, what what may be going on there? What did your soul choose there? What mm. did it did it futz? Yeah, you may have the external genitalia genetic, but you may not have the emotional, the soulful body genitalia of of a, a, a that matches your your physical. And if that doesn't match, there's some reason you chose that as a soul. Let's figure out what that is and go from there and make the most of what we can get out of it, right? So there's never any cisgender um, uh, um, uh, principle that you all have to um, uh, abide by an identity. Uh, it's never been that way and it never will be that way. That was a lot. That was a lot. <laughs> I could say well, I just had that, a, but it seems like a good place to close, maybe. Yeah, um, there's certainly, we didn't cover all the vagaries of the challenges of intimate relationship. We didn't, I wanted to talk a bit about sex workers um, uh, because that's such a volatile uh, topic these days and I could give five minutes to it. What do you think? Sure, um, why not? Identities take on sex workers. Feminism has it that it's healthy for a woman to choose whatever rings her bell. Uh, including uh, sex workers. You can't say prostitution anymore. The woke version is um, uh, uh, sex worker. Uh, really? That's going across the board now. Yeah, uh, prostitute is, if you use prostitute, you are not woke. That's it. Remember what we said last time, everyone. Uh, liberal wokeness is not the same as progressive. Um, uh, and just this like MAGA nonsense is not really uh, um, conservatism. So it's these two edges of wokeness and um, and MAGA, MAGA republicanism that are at war, not real um, uh, progressives and, and conservatives. So at any rate, um, it comes uh, from I, that makes me I love etymology because it's like, well, what's wrong with prostitutes? I just Googled the, the etymology of it. it comes from the uh, Latin meaning exposed publicly offered for sale. Well, that's yeah. no different than sex worker, isn't it? It's no, the same thing. no, no. What, what you're doing is monetizing um, uh, intimacy. A sex worker monetizes it. Um, and 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 that means you can care universally if you're a sex worker uh, for the challenge or the whatever or the deficiencies that where a person has to buy your services. It's not in the buying of it. It's in why would someone be drawn? No emotively mature person would ever be a sex worker because you're monetizing a sacred thing, not because it's immoral. Identity would not call sex workers immoral. It's simply teenage stuff that adds a monetary value to your body. Do yeah, you, does, while, while we're on the ahead. subject, would an emotionally healthy person be a casino dealer, a uh, pornography, porno film producer, a um, uh, arms dealer, uh, a meth dealer, like there's all sorts of things that we would get. Why are you drawn to that in the first place? Exactly. Emotive, we have a benchmark for emotive maturity that has never been established in the human condition ever. So that, that when you don't have that benchmark, well, then whatever floats your boat, whatever your passion is, you know, um, if, oh, you're, if you're. Oh, I got a story for you about this. Oh, man. I think I, you heard me say this before, probably. Years ago, I don't know if it's still on YouTube, but it absolutely was. And it was uh, Tony Robbins. Okay. 
saying somebody uh, someone asked him uh, what was like the funniest situation ever that ever happened to him. And he said he was in some reception line at some event he did and was shaking hands with all these people, meeting him, meeting him. And this guy shows up very flamboyantly dressed. And um, and he says to, to Tony, thank you so much. You helped my business incredibly. I'm super successful because I you know listen to all your CDs. Thank you so much. My business is just doing wonderful. And Tony said, wow, well, that's great. And, and this is him telling the story. Um, uh, Tony Robbins telling the story. Well, this is terrific. I'm so glad to hear that. What kind of business do you do? You do? And he says, well, I'm a pimp. You know, I have mm-hmm. a bunch of women who work for me. Mm-hmm. And then Tony like proceeds to like smile and laugh about like, mm-hmm. isn't that funny? You know, I helped a pimp make his business successful with with absolutely no meta commentary, no secondary <laughs> reflection, no, not even oh, a nod God. to like, I don't agree with oh, that necessarily, God. or that's a problematic category, or like, it was just as if he was selling ice cream. It was no different, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. Great point. So there's a whole, what Joseph just said there speaks exactly to what identity's vision has always been, is that what is the unconscious motive? What is the emotive unconscious really driving our conscious uh, points of view? An emotively mature person would not be drawn to do any of the things that Joseph just listed, <laughs> and, and including a sex worker. Um, a prostitute, the term, at least honored the money transaction. Mm-hmm. But now sex working is, uh, is, is just sold as a woman's choice. Well, yeah. it is a woman's choice, but where did that choice come from? Identity would, you give, give identity an open-hearted, curious sex worker, give us three months, and that sex worker will, will realize some of the unconscious colors and shadings that made her choose that as something that she thinks is good. And we're not saying it's bad or wrong nope, for someone to nope, do that. No, no, no. Or it's anything. Just, no. In fact, it has a actually a pretty good history to it. Yeah. Um, a sex worker, a female prostitute, uh, uh, in the old days, it was comes from the old priestesses in the temples, yeah. who the original reason was um, somehow uh, the orgasm is... Um, who did, I actually heard somebody, where was it, where someone said... Um, it orgasm, and this was a straight face, not ironic. A man oh. said, "Well, of of course, uh, orgasm you, you, uh, unites us to God. What do we say when we're coming? Oh my God! Oh my God! Oh my God! Yeah, that uh, proves that, the existence that, of God, of course. Yes, obviously. The, yeah, exactly. <laughs> tra- God transcends, you know. And look, we go away for a moment. We're with God because we use the words, oh my God.' That mm-hmm. was enough for him. I mean, I didn't know whether to laugh or cry when I." <laughs> Right. Uh, I want to rip my face off like like I like your metaphor. <laughs> but anyway, t- temple priestesses, the original thing was take a man to God. It's a service you give men. They they would leave shekels or whatever it is or um, or gifts or whatever to support the um, the sacred temple, which wasn't called a brothel then. Right. Especially uh, soldiers the- returning from war. They, yeah, exactly. They right. Them, you know, de-stress yeah. from all of that PTSD. Exactly. So this, none of this is bad. Um, if you're drawn to sex work, um, when you close your eyes in death this life, you will have learned a lesson that that's a dead end. That's all. And we all have we have to do everything we want to do until we dead end. And sometimes you don't know it's a dead end until you die. What yeah. identity's gift is, it can help you find the dead ends that are unconscious to you that you don't need to wait till you die to find out. In mm-hmm. other words, 
Another way of looking at identity is it can it can lessen the number of lifetimes to learn your lessons, not shorten to get through it faster, just more efficiently. That half the things that we all need at present mm -hmm. to wait till we're to die to see what we did or didn't do, you can get now while you're alive. Um, and identity can do that. I was just thinking how um, I, I I never uh, uh, patronized a sex worker, which could mean two different things. It's funny about uh -huh. the word patronize. patronize. I never used a sex oh, worker this yeah. life. And uh -huh. there were times where I was pretty desperate and, and considered it, but I could never do it. And I was just thinking how, and I just sort of looked back into my own soul history. And I was like, oh yeah, I remember doing that. Like I dead ended that. That's why yeah. I didn't have to do it this life. If exactly. I hadn't dead ended it, I probably right. would have. I would have just gone yes. back to that well. Gone forward. There's no judgment or criticism because yeah. I've I've been a sex worker in the past, a temple priestess in the past. You just you have to do everything you've got to do in the big picture. But how curious are you? You want to wait till you die every time to learn what you didn't you you couldn't get to because it was unconscious, innocent. That's all okay. God doesn't judge you for being a sex worker, and neither does identity. That, it's sort of like um, getting fired from a bunch of jobs and never looking at how you got fired. It's like yes. you right. you want to learn that lesson soon. It's going to make your future way easier. But sometimes it takes getting fired a bunch of times. By the yes. way, I was fired 10 times before I was 40 years old. So there was something going on there that I did not dead end in past lives. Be between before you were four years before old? Before I was 40, I was fired 10 times. Oh, 40. Oh, I thought you said four. I got, whoa. Jesus. No, no, no. No. Anyway, the, yeah. the, 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 to close this up about sex workers, I, yeah. uh, two, two things quickly. Um, I saw a woke um, a person, uh, uh, it seemed like a beautiful soul. I just saw it recently, a couple of weeks ago, where she was showing um, pictures of um, enlightened uh, versions of human, the human condition and unenlightened. Uh, and one of the enlightened ones was uh, uh, not only a, 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 sex, a female sex worker, but a uh, but a um uh, 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 a BSM uh, B um BDSM what's the BDSM uh, big whip some big, big whip in her hand saddle mask right mm -hmm. a big whip in her hand with black with a black mask and le black leather that was the positive because a woman can do that now she is empowered to do that there was an example that just I, I my I was agape because all the pictures otherwise up till that point. Ah, we could go along with that. Reson that resonates for identity's picture. But here, the choice of a woman to be a BDSM um, uh, kind of uh, dominatrix, that is the most wounded form of sex work where pain is the agreed upon value to the either give it or receive it. Only really emotively hurt and damaged people are drawn to somehow sanitize pain as a way to deal with their pain. That's what BDSM and uh, is about. There's another wrinkle. There was an episode of House MD that dealt with that, actually. Oh, yeah? Uh, oh. And in that particular one, it was a really weak man. Um, and the, the domination of the sex worker gave him a sense of boundaries and helped him sort of find his spine in some kind of weird way. You know, as sure. we say, everything is true and some things are truer than others. So like, yeah, right. there was some kernel of support happening there between the two of them where she was like helping to give him boundaries and being a template for what strength was, but in a way that, you know, wouldn't go very deep, obviously. 
Um, yeah. And of course, on the sex worker side, the um, uh, some empowerment is perhaps better than total disempowerment. And sure. a, a woman inhabiting her sexuality rather than not inhabiting it. Yes. Well, you right. know, maybe that's that's a step in the right direction or more likely a swing that's going to have to correct. But yes. And, and the bottom line, so we can close this, is that sex work separates two and four. Yeah. Uh, and then and then makes a monetary value to um, um, uh, uh, the transaction. It's all a tra everything's a transaction. There's a benefit on both sides always. But what's the transaction based in? When you split two and four, um, uh, 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 three and five are operating. Your protector version of self and your willfulness get together and uh, tell you, uh, uh, convince you that this is an empowered choice for a man or a woman. We, men, same way, sex workers. Uh, it's all the same. And BDSM, again, uh, a, a really excessively wound-based version of it. But still, the whole principle is not judgment and criticism of the behavior. It's, yeah. the, it's the basis for why the behavior is okay, not the behavior itself. You're splitting two and four. If you spend... 10 lives in a row being a sex worker and monetizing it in some way, you've dug a hole of soul that you're going to have to dig yourself out of. But since most people don't know that they live unlimited amount of lifetimes, um, they don't know that they, that they wake up on the other side going, oh, shit, mm -hmm. um, look what I set out to learn and I didn't learn. There's none that's not out there in the common culture. So they're doing all these things based on really limited information about what, what does it mean to be a human being? And identity simply expands that definition and gives a way dharmically to make it true for people and real, not just because we say so. So in that sense, I'd like to close intimacy uh, with all those wrinkles. Um, it doesn't cover everything. Um, uh, there's no judgment in any of it. Simply, we live into this question. And, and over my lifetime, a long lifetime, always wanting to doubt it because there was a part of me that wanted to be non-monogamal, uh, wanted me to be polygamous. Uh, uh, and I always felt, wait, something's off there. I must have done it enough lifetimes yeah. before to just to be curious about why I wasn't drawn to it. So uh, no judgment in any of this. And um, please know that there's a way, last statement, we can, identity found a way to decode all the all the important bandwidths of what it means to share um, a life with someone and be fulfilled soulfully, heartfully, mindfully, and body bodily, bodily. <laughs> uh, phys physically, bodily. Sure, we found a way. Uh, and if you can if you can withstand the nuclear war side of it, um, oh baby, uh, yeah. So that's it on that um, uh, on that topic. And of course, uh, 1,000, 2,000, 5,000 questions can come out of it. Look forward to the years to come where we can answer as many of those as we can. Yeah. If you've got questions, send them to us. You're, you're All right. So we'll figure out how. Yes. I, I don't know, <laughs> I, I don't know if, if we do, if we try to record a podcast when you're in Germany, our production quality would be pretty compromised unless you're going to bring you that think? mic with you. Uh, oh, I can't bring the mic. Yeah. No. I, I, oh, I didn't think of that technically. Yeah. All right. 
All right, Christine, if you're listening to this podcast, um, uh, and that was you, we'll get to, we're going to spend a whole next podcast on those questions because it would be a great 55th or 54th or something, Third. Um, 53rd. Today's 52. Yeah. Um, we'll do a 53rd that, that's a big, that, that covers a ton of different domains. And that these questions she asked were so right to the point. We're going to yeah. give you a whole podcast, Christine. So, yeah. Cool. Let's do that. All right. Well, thank you, Stace. That was rich and deep. And wow, my head is kind of spinning. Um, and thank you, listeners, for hanging with us because I know you've been listening in order all this time. No, not really. Uh, and um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, talk to you next time. Thanks a lot, Stace. All right, Joseph. Bye bye. bye, -bye. Thanks for listening to the Heart of Soul podcast. To learn more about Stace Barron and Identity, please visit identity.org. To learn more about Joseph Shapiro, visit clearandopen.com. Until next time, we wish you well on your journey.